The title of what I'm sharing with you today is the book of First Peter. We are busy with part eight this morning. Can you believe? Here we are in part eight and part nine, not uh, this coming weekend, the Passover weekend, but the week thereafter would be part nine, and then we would be finishing off First Peter. Uh, that is five chapters that we've been through in good detail. And then we'll continue with other messages as the Holy Spirit leads. And then later on in the year, I anticipate that we will do Second Peter, and that is three chapters long. So just so that you know how we are tracking. Today we will look at the second half of chapter four. Peter is teaching about living in the last days. He's writing to the people in Asia Minor explaining that persecution and suffering does come and that we need to understand how to live in these times. So there's so much that we can really learn. Let's get straight into it. And I'm reading from 1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 19. This is in the New King James Version. Here it goes. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing had happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. There's quite a, quite a mix of things here from murderer to person who's a bit nosy, okay? <laughs> Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? The last verse, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And we say the Lord bless the reading of his word. Can I get an amen? amen. That's a bit soft. An amen. There we go. Now, as I was thinking about this, kind of a little bit of an overarching statement before I get into the four points that I want to share, and this is my overarching statement that the early Christians, they were probably shocked because here they are being persecuted and abused, and all they're trying to do is live for Jesus. Think about that. They've come to salvation. They're wanting to love and be a person of peace and 
be filled with the fruit of the Spirit and just live according to God's will. And they're just simply following Jesus. And now they're shocked to encounter persecution and hatred and abuse. But Peter told them to expect such suffering, just as Jesus also suffered. Do you know, folks, that still today, the secular world cannot stand true Bible-believing Christians. They cannot stand them. And that's why we face persecution. Now, if you're not living the life of, of following God in, in a real sold-out way, then probably there'll be no persecution. But if you're really sold out to God, there's resistance that comes against you. There's people that criticize you, that insult you, and things like that. Now, you just start talking about some of the biblical truths, solid biblical truths, and you watch how the world begins to rise up in hatred, rise up in anger. You just talk about the fact that salvation is found through Jesus Christ alone, and you watch the anger begins to rise, the persecution begins to rise. You begin to talk about the fact that the sanctity of life and that little unborn babies are precious and they must be looked after. They must not be aborted. And you watch the anger begin to rise up in people who are unsaved. And you know what? It goes back to the spirit of Molech. Way back in ancient civilizations, there's been this tendency to sacrifice and kill children. Even the enemies of Israel, the Ammonites and the Canaanites, they were killing babies. They were killing even some unborn babies. They were sacrificing uh, children to the Lord, not to the Lord, to the devil. And it still continues today, and that's why abortion is such a scourge on the world. It is unrighteous. And we should talk about, you just talk about the fact that God has created the heavens and the earth, not evolution, and you begin to see persecution immediately beginning to rise. People hate it. Because if there is a God that created the heavens and earth, then they are answerable and they don't want to be answerable. They want it to be some sort of a, a, a cosmic explosion or just a more long evolutionary process and then they don't have to give account to God. But I want to tell you, even though it might be met with this kind of resistance and hatred and persecution, I want to say, but speak the truth nonetheless. Come on. Don't pull back. Don't shrink back. You're a child of the light, you're a person of the truth, you speak the truth anyhow, whether they like it or whether it gets their goat. Now, four things that I'd like to share with you, and I'm going to spend quite a lot of time on point one, and then two, three, and four will be shorter. Point number one, don't be shocked when you go through fiery trials, instead be glad that you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. Could I get an amen on that? Because we want to learn more about the Word of God. We study the book of 1 Peter, and this is what it says, so let your heart be receptive. Let me just repeat this. Don't be shocked when you go through fiery trials. Instead, be glad that you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. Now, please keep your Bible open at 1 Peter 4. We're going to refer to it several times. Let's look at verse 12 and 13 to back up this point. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice 
to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. These two verses, 12 and 13, I find them very significant. And these are the verses that I first read when God began to direct me that there needs to be a series on 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And let me just explain for a moment. So you know that we have the ministry mic down the front here. There's a pastor that's always on duty. And during the service, during the worship, if you sense God laying something on your heart, you can go and submit it to the pastor on duty. Sometimes if, if we sense it's right, we'll release it in the service. If not, it's written down and we take note of it. So probably, I don't know, five, six months ago, one of those words that was submitted by Corin De Silva, one of our shepherds, uh, was in the file and then was later on given to me. The word did not get released here. But here I am at home, at my desk, and I'm reading this, and it gives this very scripture, and one or two things that it said about, and she came and submitted that word. And as I read this, I was suddenly finding this very significant. And then I began to read not just those two or three verses, I read the whole of chapter four, and then I read the whole of First Peter, the five chapters, and I just sensed in my heart, I must give a sermon series on this, and this is why I'm doing this, because I feel that the Lord has led me to do it. I don't believe it's a good idea, I believe it's a God idea. And so these two verses, 12 and 13, here's my own translation of it. Have you heard of John's NIV? John's nice, interesting version. If I could, I would, I would put it the following way. When you pass, sorry, when life gets really difficult and you're going through the fire, don't think that God has left you. Instead, be joyful because you get to share in the sufferings of the Lamb of God. Do you like the NIV? <laughs> Isaiah 43, verse two and three says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Receive this as a promise. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, everybody say fire. You shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, I know that there are some people here today, you can relate to this in a big way. You talk about walking through the fire, and you say, well, I am exactly there. You don't know what I've been going through. You don't know what I've been facing over this past while. But I want to tell you that if you've been going through the fire, I have to let you know that God is with you even through the fire. The flame will not scorch you, and He is the fourth person in the fiery furnace. Come on, you can get more excited about that. He's with you. He's with you in that fiery furnace. Praise God that He is with us even through the tough times. And sometimes when we face these really tough times, you know what we do? We think that God is angry with us for some reason. Or we think that we've done something wrong. But let me tell you, you could be completely mistaken. You think God's angry with you. He's not at all angry with you. If there's something that you've done where you've stepped out of line, bring it before the Lord, align yourself. 
But most of the time, it's not at all a case that God is angry with you. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. Are you hearing, child of God? That's what verse 12 says. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. So don't think I've blown it, I've messed up. But this is a fiery trial which might be coming into your life because of the purposes of God. And maybe you are actually privileged to share in Christ's sufferings specifically for righteousness sake. Now, isn't that a completely different take on the trials that we go through? Wow. We all know the story of the Apostle Paul and many things about his life, but we know that he faced severe hardships. Am I right? And you think of what he went through. For example, he received 39 lashes from the Jewish council. He received it once, twice, three times, four times, five times he received 39 lashes. Golly. <laughs> also, he was beaten with rods. We know that he is shipwrecked, not once, not twice, three times, for goodness sake. He even spent a night out at sea, treading water, trying to stay alive, and he was stoned. And so, you know, he did not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, and this is what Paul had to say. He said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. And that's according to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. And so I wanna suggest to you that you upgrade your thinking like Paul's thinking had been upgraded. And when you go through these things and you face these challenges, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. But realize that we are being prepared for a far greater glory which will outweigh all of these things. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I think of our church manager. Our church manager uh, has been with us for a few years. Prior to that, he was in a well-known corporate company in South Africa. And he was working at this company and he began to discover some corruption, some serious corruption taking place there. And so he just felt, no ways. This goes against my values, my morals, my beliefs. I cannot be a part of this. And so he began to blow the whistle. Do you think it went well for him? He was unfortunately victimized in the process and he lost his job. For a number of months, quite some period of time, he was unemployed. And as hard as it seems, I wanna tell you that I believe that he was sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Wow. Sometimes it's not easy, but I believe that we need to be prepared to embrace God. Now, admittedly, suffering is not a popular topic. If I had put on yesterday's SMS suffering as the topic, we might have had 10% less people here today. I'm just being honest. So it's not a popular topic, but if the word appears 21 times, which it does in the book of 1 Peter, and that's only in five chapters, then we need to take note of it. Are you with me? Listen to the statement. If we suffer, it shows our identification with Christ. And it shows 
that our faith is genuine. And so as you're going through these things from time to time, by the way, this doesn't happen all the time, but we go through seasons when we do go through times of suffering, realize it's a demonstration that you are identified with Christ and also it's a realization that your faith is genuine. I also wanna say this, I believe pastors should not shy away from talking about suffering. Do you agree with that? It's getting very quiet in this church. We shouldn't shy away from that because otherwise it will produce shallow Christians. It will produce fair weather Christians. And then the moment something goes wrong in their lives, they say, well, God has left me. They get offended at God and they just walk out of the situation. No, come on. We should realize that God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And in those very times, you embrace God and you hold on to God and you don't let go of God. James the Apostle, he tells us to count it all joy when we face trials and testing of our faith because it produces, basically in summary form, mature and complete disciples. Many of you sitting under the sound of my voice today, many of you listening online, you are a mature disciple of God. There's also many listening today that you are, you've got a long way to go, you're still growing and that's great, keep on growing. But keep on embracing what God is doing in your life. And these trials, they can be seen as something terrible or as something beneficial for the child of God. May I encourage you, child of God, embrace what God is doing in your life. Embrace whatever season that you're going through. If it's a season of hardship, embrace it. If it's a season of being on the mountaintop, celebrate it and have a joy. <laughs> but count it all joy is what the Bible says. Count it all joy, why? Because your character is being shaped and developed. Count it all joy, why? Because Christ is being formed within you. Count it all joy, why? Because you're becoming mature and complete. And God's not finished with you yet. He's still continuing to shape and develop you as a loving father because you love your children. You also, you love your children. You want them to be shaped and developed. Let me tell you, after my dad passed away, I was 23 years of age. I was in my dad's church and immediately I noticed that I began to be sidelined. My, my brothers were being sidelined, my mom was being sidelined, and, and so on. And, and I remember thinking back into those times, I thought it was the, the hand of the very devil himself. But later on, I've come to realize, you know what? It was God intending it for my good. Some people may have intended it for my evil, but it was God intending it for my good. And you know what? In the process, I was sharing in Christ's sufferings. Come on, let's thank the Lord because we can rejoice even in sharing in His sufferings. And you know what? Through it all, you get to know Jesus in a better way and it is worth it. I just wanna tell you that today, I believe if I had not gone through that process, I would, not, I would have been a far less better person. But God knew 
that I needed that to fashion and shape my soul. And so we need to be prepared to embrace what God is doing. Now, verse 13, have a look at it in your Bible. Verse 13, it says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, here it goes, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And so you have to look beyond the struggles and the pain to the joy that God is going to bring into your life in this life and also to come. Because afterwards, at the end, when, when God's glory is revealed, do you know what the Bible says? That you and I, we will rejoice with exceeding, exceeding joy. So you have to see it in the big perspective of God. And you have to realize that exceeding joy is what is waiting for you in your future. Amen? I said point number one was going to be a long one. On to point number two. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Please would you say this aloud with me? The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now isn't that beautiful? Come on, let that just sink in for a moment. Praise God. His spirit is upon us. His glory is upon us. Now, let me just deviate for a moment. Uh, let me read Matthew 5, 11 to 12. You don't have to turn there. In the NIV, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice. Do you see the Christ-like attitude? And be glad because Great is your reward in heaven. And some of you know exactly what this is like. You're endeavoring to be a person of integrity at your company and you get ridiculed from other staff members because you don't want to start sleeping around with other people on staff and so on. I want to say, don't be put off when you are insulted for being a Christian. Keep rejoicing because you have an awesome reward in heaven and it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Now look at verse 14, back to our text. 1 Peter 4 verse 14, it says, if you are reproached. Now what is reproached? Insulted. For the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Say that with me. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let me tell you this. Every single spirit-filled believer has the Spirit of God within them. But as I understand, looking at verse 14 carefully, it seems to me that God's Spirit will rest upon you in an extra special way if you are facing persecution in a given time that you're in. And I think that that is tremendously encouraging. And I think of people that we've heard and we've read stories of severe persecution and even torture and things like that, but realize that God's Spirit is resting upon them in a glorious way. And you know what? I believe that even before some people become martyrs, God just takes them straight out of the body, straight into heaven, into eternal glory, because our God is an awesome God. Wow. And so His Spirit rests upon us in a special way. What an awesome thing to know that all the time God's Spirit is upon us, and more especially during persecution. Would you please say this out aloud after me? The Spirit of glory 
and of God rests upon me. Now turn the person next to you and say, he rests upon you. Tell him that. He rests upon you. I remember one of the first times that I sensed the Spirit of the Lord resting upon me. I was at a camp. It was a young adults camp. I was 18 years of age. I was one of the younger leaders on the camp, the first time I kind of served as a leader. And then I was asked as part of the leadership team, John, would you be ready to pray for people at the end of the service? And I'm like, woo, I've never done that before, get nervous in the service kind of thing. But I put on my brave face and said, yeah, I guess I better, better be available. And so then people, after ministry and worship and all of that, uh, they came down to the front and started to stand there to receive prayer. And I just went in fear and trembling and began to lay my hands on the first person and, and start to pray one by one for people, asking that the Lord would touch them and refresh them and fill them with his spirit. And here as I'm praying, if I could put it this way, minding my own business, <laughs> next thing, this first person just fell down under the power of God. I was shocked. You say you should expect that God works when you pray. I don't know. In that moment, I was shocked and I was stunned. It's not about a person falling down. God was also touching other people that weren't falling down. And I went on to pray for a number of people that night. And many people just fell down under the power of God. You've got to know that it was nothing about me, but it was the Spirit of the Lord that was resting upon me. And I give Him the honor and the thanks for that. I really do. And let me say this, His Spirit rests upon you. If there's something that I've learned in life is that you need to understand that God's Spirit rests upon you. You have to know that. You have to believe that. And it says in Luke 4, verse 18 to 19, Jesus is speaking. He says, this is well known, He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And these are the very words of Jesus. But you walk in the same anointing of Jesus. You walk in the same authority of Jesus. Are you with me? You walk in that same authority so you can declare these words as well. And we should declare these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Let me tell you, Sunday mornings before the service, I am uh, just taking a few moments in the men's room and I pop on my microphone and pop on some tape and just kind of get ready and pray and, and try to just have a few moments just alone. And in that time of praying and all things are then ready. And then what I often do, before I walk out of the bathroom, I'm standing there at the basin with the big mirror. I look at the mirror and I say, John, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you because He has anointed you. And I declare that. I declare that because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, and sometimes I need to hear that. Do you know that sometimes when pastors are about to speak and minister, the enemy will come and bring vicious attacks against pastors. 
Suddenly, doubt and insecurity and all these things. And that's when I look to the Lord. And I say, thank you, Father. I trust in you. And I say, and look into the mirror, I said, you are anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. And I want to encourage you. You are anointed too. You are no less or more anointed. We're anointed all together by the Spirit of God. And would you begin to do the same thing over your life? Look in the mirror and say, I'm anointed by the Spirit of God. Come on. We are all in the ministry together. We are anointed, praise God. But you've got to believe that God's glory is upon you. You've got to believe that God's spirit is upon you. Number three, it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. That's quite a point. And when it talks about the house of God, this refers to the church. It's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. Look at verse 17. It says, for the time has come. For judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, it's talking about judgment, and as I understand it, the judgment is twofold. Firstly, it is the final judgment at the end of the age. But also, it is God's refining discipline of his church in the church age, which started at the day of Pentecost and will be completed when the rapture takes place. So there's also this aspect of judgment where God is refining and he is refining with discipline the house of God. And this is an ongoing process which will continue to go on and on. But perhaps we need to be real and say that if it says that it's time for judgment at the house of God, we're living in the time when that does actually take place. Take note, child of God. And perhaps the Lord is disciplining or judging churches even across the world. Perhaps the Lord is disciplining church leaders at this point in time. If I think of over the last year, over the last two years, the amount of things that have come out, almost scandalous things in churches, then I think, well, God must be judging his beloved people. Some of the reasons, I just looked at one or two reasons of why would God be judging? He has a few reasons. Maybe it's because leaders are exalting themselves. There's this thing called a celebrity pastor. Can you imagine if you spoke to the Apostle Paul and, and said, now listen, you're going to be a celebrity pastor. We're going to do away with these donkeys. We're going to get horses and a chariot. You're going to come in looking really cool, bunch of soldiers with in-ear pieces, and they can talk to each other. He would have thought, this is nuts, man. You're getting it wrong. But leaders have been exalting themselves. Maybe there are some that are trying to take a hold of God's glory, and God says, I will share my glory with no man. Maybe there are some that are compromising integrity and God is bringing judgment to the house of God. Maybe that God is bringing judgment as well for obsessive lifestyles in terms of opulent lifestyles. I was watching something the other day and I was talking about a pastor who has been interviewed and the sweater that this uh, pastor had on cost 12,000 US dollars. 
<laughs> that is 180,000 rand for a sweater. And I looked at this thing and I thought, it doesn't even look cool. I don't know. Yeah. Go sell it and I don't know, go to Mr. Price or something. Yeah. Looks bad. Looks like a Christmas sweater of all things. But you know what? God is busy. He loves his church so much that he will continue refining his church. And just remember that the Lord disciplines those he loves. God's discipline, he's always motivated by love. And it's always to refine and strengthen us. Point number four, which is a brief one. Here we go. Keep trusting God even during suffering because your creator is faithful. Please say the word faithful. Say it again. Now say this whole sentence with me. Keep trusting God even during suffering because your creator is faithful. Do you believe that he is faithful? Look at verse 19. It says, therefore, let those of us who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him. What does that mean? You trust in him. Commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And I want to emphasize God's faithfulness right here. It says in the Living Bible, it says in that same verse, so if you are uh, suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to God who made you for he will never fail you. Do you hear what God says to you today? He will never fail you. You see, in times of suffering, we need to trust in God's faithfulness. His faithfulness is so vast, so indescribable, and it makes perfect sense that we trust in God's faithfulness. By the way, the word trust means that you give something over to somebody else for safekeeping. And so when we do that with God, we're giving ourselves over to God for his safekeeping. And this is the same word that Jesus used on the cross. Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. What was Jesus doing? He was displaying absolute and complete trust in our heavenly Father. And so should you and I display complete trust. Now, let me just read one last verse as I'm coming in for a, a landing. Psalm 121, verse 3 to 4. Would you just receive this as an encouragement? It says, he who watches over you will not slumber. Do you receive that? Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And I think to myself, oh, what an awesome God we serve. And if he can watch over the sparrow, he can keep you safe. He can, if he can hold the world and the universe together, he can keep you safe because he will never fail you. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Praise him like it matters. He will never fail. Keep trusting in Him. Let's stand together as we pray. Ah, oh, Father, we love You. We love You. We love You, Lord. We love You, Stacks. Lord, thanks a million for today. Thank You for the life of God that we have sensed in this place. 
And thank you for the encouragement that has come into our hearts. And I thank you, Lord, that you are with us. No matter through the fire, through the waters, it doesn't matter. You are with us. And right now, we want to take great and intentional comfort that God says, I am with you even till the end of the age. I want to declare that again, that God says, I am with you, my child, even till the end of the age. The Lord says, you are safe in my care. No one can snatch you out of my hand, and I love you. The Lord says, I love you, my child. And Lord, I want to end off by praying the prayer of Jabez. Lord, as your people go into this week, we go as people who are conquerors. But I pray, like Jabez prays, prayed, oh God, that you would bless us indeed, real good. That you would enlarge our territory. That your hand would be upon us. That you would keep us from evil. And that we would not cause pain. And we thank you and pray this with all our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord one last hand of praise. Hallelujah.